Blog Talk Radio. that I'm going to bring on in just a moment. Cynthia M. Ruiz is going to talk with us about her new book, Cherokee Wisdom, 12 Lessons for Becoming a Powerful Leader. And I have to say, it is both a joy and truly an honor to be bringing Cynthia on the show today because she has done so many things in her life where she has developed her own leadership skills. She has won many awards and and been in significant leadership roles in Los Angeles, um, including being the city commissioner overseeing a huge um, pension portfolio for city employees. And she's won a number of awards in L.A. for her work. She's also been a very active volunteer leader in her life. She has taught. She has a Master's of Science degree in counseling, and she's completed a leadership course at Harvard University, John F. Kennedy School of Government. And she um, has been president of the L.A. Board of Public Works and has run her own business. And she's also written a previous book as well, which sounds very interesting, Finding Sane Relationships in a Crazy World. And so she has over two decades of experience coming to us today. And she also has this beautiful cultural background that she's going to bring to us today Um, both Latina and Native American, and she loves sharing lessons to help women step into their empowerment, but the lessons that she shares are applicable to all of us. us. And her website is CynthiaMRuiz.com. And after such a a lengthy introduction, because there are just so many wonderful things to say about this guest, I am just so delighted to bring Cynthia on the air. Welcome, Cynthia. Well, hello, Susan. Hello from Los Angeles. Well, um, I am up here in Oregon today, and um, 
So I'm hello from the forest, <laughs> very much connected to nature here, which um, is something that I know you've reflected upon in your book, and is certainly an essential part of your path. Right. And first of all, Susan, I just want to say thank you for very much for allowing me this opportunity to speak with you, but thank you for being a voice of positivity in this crazy world. And with mainstream media, we get bombarded with all the negativity. So shows like your, yours are so important to have that positive voice, to have that spiritual voice to reach people because I do honestly believe that people are good at the core of who they are. So having these positive discussions are, is so important. So thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. That's so sweet of you to say that at the outset. And, you know, Cynthia, right now um, it, it's it's hard not to get a little bit disheartened sometimes of everything going on in the world. And to me, having these kinds of conversations, it, it's a kind of a haven. It's it. And and you know something that that you very much connect to, and I'd love for you to share with us how this developed for you, is this connection to our ancestors, and 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 how does that give us comfort too in this time when we see things in the context of generation after generation after generation and find ways to be uplifted in a crazy world. <laughs> well, actually, as you mentioned in the introduction, I come from two cultures. So my dad was Mexican, and I say was because he has made his transition. And so I'm half Mexican, and then I'm half Cherokee Native American. So we're registered members in the Cherokee Nation. And so at first, I have to admit, growing up, it was not always easy because I didn't always feel like I fit in. I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't really fit in with my Latina side. And then since I didn't live in Indian country on a reservation, I'm an urban Indian, I didn't really feel 100% like I fit in either. But as I matured and became an adult, now I feel like I have the best of both worlds. I like to get to say I like to say I get my passion for life and my love for music and dance from my Latina side and from my uh-huh. native side I get my spirituality and love for mother nature. Yes. Yes. Well, that's a wonderful com- combination to just truly bring you alive and then also give you that peace that that assists you. And, you know, when Today we're going to be talking about leadership and, you know, it, it seems like, um, you know, you, you have really developed quite a set of attributes here that can help us. But something I see in you, Cynthia, as I was reading your book is there is that inner peace that is so helpful to a leader, it doesn't mean that I'm sure you're not always in perfect peace. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> is, but but it it just I'm sure that it helps you to deal with any number of challenging situations, which you no doubt run into in Los Angeles. Well, we all deal with challenges. I mean, that's just part of yeah. life. 
but uh, yeah. at one point when I was running the Board of Public Works for the City of Los Angeles, which means that I was number one in charge of 5,000 people, all the city's yeah. infrastructure, and you have a you know a, a background in working with engineers, and you know that they think different. And then yep. on top of that, being challenged every single day because I was a woman in a man's world because with the infrastructure, that that's sewers and picking up trash and building buildings. All that is predominantly male. And so there was many times I was in a meeting of 30 people. I was the boss, but I was the only female. So I had to really search within and know that when I was making decisions, I made the best decision for me. So what I developed is what I call value-driven leadership. When I make decisions based on my core values, I'll never make a bad decision for me. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to make everybody happy, but I had to yeah. figure out a system how I was able to sleep at night knowing that I made the right decision for me. Yes, yes. You know, it's it's interesting, Cynthia. When I read that part, there was a part in your book where you talked about that and how I think 10% of people, they say, aren't going to, they're not going to agree with your decision. And do you know, Cynthia, I have kind of, um, oh, I've I've had stress over that in the past where I've tried to do the right thing, you know, just like you say, you know, stay consistent. And yet some people were very critical or unhappy, and then others were very happy. And, and I found real comfort in that because I thought, hey, you know, why in the world was I thinking that I had to please everybody? And, and, you know, I'm thinking of volunteer roles, um, having having led a, a PTO similar to a PTA at a school. And, and it's inevitable, isn't it, that people will question your decisions, but you have to stay true to what you feel is right. And, and that was very comforting to me, reading that. But, Susan, you, you said it yourself. We want to please people. We want to make everybody right. happy. We but do. at the end, and then interesting enough, because um, what I share in the book is one of my friends told me, you know, Cynthia, you realize 10% of the people are you're never going to make happy. And when you're, you know, in charge of 5,000 people, that was a little overwhelming. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you know, 500 people yeah. are not going to be happy. <laughs> so, so what happens, you know, a lot of times is that we focus on the negative. You know, we, we you know, most of the people, yep. 4,500 people are happy, and then that one naysayer comes out and criticizes us, and for some reason our attention goes there. And we listen to that one person that has nothing but negative. And usually that person, it's not even about our decision. It's usually about something that they're not happy with in their own life. So I had to step back and say, okay, I'm going to be making these difficult decisions every day if I make decisions on the values. And that's what I share in the book, The 12 Attributes of of Leadership Based on the Cherokee Way of Life. And then I felt like, okay, I can have peace. I don't have to make everybody happy. The decisions I'm going to make are for the greater good of the community. Yes, yes. So tell us, Cynthia, how did the Cherokee wisdom help you to um, to develop these attributes, which seem to be very intrinsic for you just as how you operate as a leader. 
Well, these are things that were taught in our Cherokee values, and our 12 attributes are basically our cultural values. And, and most cultures have the same values. I mean, the number one is integrity. And the way that Cherokees define integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is looking. I mean, most of us yeah. will do the right thing if somebody else is watching or we think somebody else is going to find out. But when it's just you and you're challenged to do the right thing, you know, having integrity is doing the right thing because you know at the end of the day the creator is still watching. So I use the term yeah. creator from my native side, but I could also say God, universal uh, consciousness, whatever term, you know that there's a, a power bigger than us. And at the end of the day, if you really want to have peace, you have to operate with integrity. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that that seems so essential to me. Um, what do you do? And we may be jumping ahead, and then we're going to step through the attributes. But I have found that, for me, the greatest challenge sometimes when you're especially coordinating various things or in, in different roles is when it feels like there's not enough time in the day. And and when that happens to me, it it frustrates me because my my core values would be to to get it all done. And so so one of the the areas I noticed a little bit farther on in your book, you talk about how you work with employees who maybe, you know, um are are having time issues or whatever, and I was just wondering, just even as leaders, how do we progress realistically? To me, that is one of the most challenging things as an engineer, because something will come up, you know, and you have to be honest. You can't be a yes person. I love that. You talk (laughs) about that in your book, too, is that a leader does not want yes people around. Like, if as an engineer, if I saw an issue or someone in my group, I want to hear it, and, you know, when people haven't listened to things like that, when they had yes people, you had things like Morton Thiokol that happened with the space mm. shuttle years ago and stuff like that. And, and you know, a lot of software is used in medical um, devices and all sorts of things. And so it's very important to have that integrity. This is a very complex question, but for me it's a core challenge <laughs> is is something I've seen many of us have dealt with is is managing the time of a project while still making sure it's at the quality it is. And sometimes that can feel a little uncomfortable because you have to say, hey, you know what, this is going to take another month or or whatever and i I, i'm just jumping ahead and i have that question because i know a lot of leaders do as to how to deal with that well susan that's a great question because you're absolutely right there is not enough time in the day so it's about Mm -hmm. setting priorities you know i do my list of things to do every morning and do i complete the list of things most times I don't, but the list of things to do is just a guidepost because unexpected things happen or I get busy, I get off the phone and say, okay, what am I going to do next? And I go back to that list. So prioritizing. But you know one thing I think that people forget, and especially women, we do, we're guilty of uh-huh. this, we forget uh-huh. to um, schedule in time for ourselves. You know, we have to take care of ourselves because if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to take care of anybody else around us. 
So um, I always like to use the example when you're on the airplane and you're getting the safety briefing, and they say if you're traveling with a small child and the oxygen mask comes down, put it on yourself first because our intuition is to put it on a child. But you have to take care of yourself first, so it's scheduling in time for yourself. And what I do on a daily basis, irregardless of how busy I am, I make sure that when I wake up in the morning, I start off with my gratitude list. And then sometime throughout the day, I will pray. And then the third thing I do is meditate. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order. And sometimes my meditation is only five minutes. Sometimes my prayer is when I'm driving to my next meeting. But I make sure on a daily basis I have those three things, three components in my life to keep me grounded and take care of me. Yes. Oh, there's almost nothing that, that we feel as women sometimes that we approach more imperfectly. And, you know, I've seen the analogy of you can't pour from an empty water pitcher, you know, that that <laughs> <laughs> and that you have to you have to fill your pitcher if you're going to pour for for others and as a mom having um my my child's now in college and actually home for the holidays but um you know doing those things and also being you know wanting to be active as a mom wanting to um I know you've done things where you've been a role model for um, young women and, and different things, or even when you were younger, you were in various volunteer roles. And then also, you know, whatever we're doing with our work, it's true. We can get lost in the process. And it's something I think we have to practice because for me anyway, and for many, it seems we we don't always get that right. <laughs> we just have to keep keep working on it and making that commitment to ourselves. And it may be something as simple as like, okay, I'm going to schedule 10 minutes in my day to go walk outside and smell the roses, Uh to walk outside and just be in nature because I'm a mom as well. My son is grown now, but, you know, it was Uh like everybody else's needs I put first and many times I would forget about myself and at the end of the day I realized, oh my God, I haven't eaten lunch yet. You know, I haven't taken a break. I haven't, and you know what? Then we, we get, it, it compounds and then we feel more exhausted. So it's, you know, about finding that balance and I'm not saying it's a perfect balance, but, you know, making sure that we as leaders, we schedule, and, and especially as women, that we schedule some me time. And a lot of, especially in the Latina community, they feel guilty about that. If you focus on yourself, then somehow you're selfish and this guilt comes in. But I'm like, no, if you don't take care of yourself and, you know, don't you deserve 10 minutes to to walk outside and to have a quick meditation so you get re-energized? And they're like, well, yeah. And I said, well, then do it. And they're like, a lot of women say, oh, well, I don't have time to work out. So I said, well, yeah. you need to schedule that time, you know, go walking at lunchtime. Whatever whatever you can fit into your schedule, it's about scheduling the time for yourself as well. You know, it's, it's interesting. I have found that as a small business owner now compared to when I was in the corporate world, it poses unique challenges um, that you don't necessarily – see in the corporate world and one of the greatest challenges and I see this with many many small business owners is we really don't I mean we're so committed we are so stubborn (laughs) (laughs) we are 
stubborn. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it, that we don't take a lot of time for ourselves, and yet we need to because otherwise our businesses um, can't thrive. If we're not thriving, then we're not going to have the energy that we need. But there is a tendency to just put a lot into it because the buck stops with us, you know, with with the business. Well, I like to say we are the CEO of our lives shaped by Uh the choices we make. And so we have choices. And even when I was sitting there, you know, running the department of 5,000 people, so I was in beautiful Los Angeles City Hall, which is an iconic building. And Uh I would be meeting after meeting after meeting. And so I would always ask my assistant to schedule 15 minutes of downtime in the afternoon. So I would go on the top of City Hall. They have a beautiful vantage point where you can see downtown. Go up there by myself and just breathe and take in, you know, the the air and just say, okay, you know, this is my time. This is me time. Then I'd come back and I'd be all refreshed and ready to go. Yep, yep, that's so important. And, you know, nowadays a lot of corporate campuses are really quite nice. They they build in, you know, the, the lake and everything. Where I used to work on a corporate campus, we had a beautiful lake and woods and everything, and it was kind of sad that a lot of people didn't really take advantage of it. You know, maybe you'd see it as you were walking to the cafeteria. But I think that if I were back in that setting again, I would make a special point to to just walk out there <laughs> to, <laughs> to spend a little time. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do if you're trying to solve a problem is to go sit under a tree. Um, and, right. and it'll come to you. Yep. And it's kind and of... Yet yeah, it's counterintuitive because most people think, oh, if you're sitting outside under a tree, you're not doing anything. That's oh, right. You know, That's she's right. out there by herself. There must be something wrong. And sometimes, uh-huh. you know, like I said, when I used to go to the top of City Hall, I just liked the the space of being alone for a few minutes because I was so bombarded with phone calls and yeah. you know having to make decisions and people. So, you know, the, that alone time can be good because if you're comfortable being alone, that means you're happy and you're at peace with yourself. Oh, yes, yes. I have definitely discovered that more and more. And I was just thinking about how if we could all have leaders or managers who understand that, that would say, oh, you know, Joe is, is coming up with, with that new algorithm under that tree, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to saying, hey, What's Joe doing? <laughs> and and often in engineering, um, they, it, we are starting to see more collaborative leadership. I mean, everybody has different styles, of course, but I think the best managers would totally recognize that and and learn how people work, learn how each person in the organization actually operates and what brings out the best in them. Right, and I believe that with leadership, each and every one of us have the ability to be a great leader. But I also believe that there's no such thing as one size fits all for leadership because human behavior is not an exact science. We're all different. We're all unique because everyone has had different experiences that shape who they are. So if every single person is different, you can't have a blanket statement that this one leadership style fits everybody. So one of the things I like to encourage people to do when they read the book is what resonates with them. 
what leadership style resonates with them. Because I have to say that my style would depend on the group that I'm leading. As you mentioned, I'm a professor. And no two classes or groups are the same because group dynamics change things. So it's about good leaders to me are people that can assess the situation and adjust based on the needs of the group, whether you're you know, um, organizing people around a social event or your family or work or whatever you're doing to lead a group. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, what I'd like to do now... Cynthia, we're having so much fun talking about <laughs> these things so spontaneously, um, which which I'm really enjoying. And but I thought I would would make um, some effort to to step through some of these attributes and and just certain things that I noted that um, I felt were very meaningful to me as I was reading and would be to the listeners. Um, I know that um, in the the first attribute is essentially to lead. And there's a point in that chap in that chapter where you talk about being fearless, and this being a show about doing our best to get beyond fear. I thought um, I would talk to you about that, and you know how much how much risk. In fact, I've I've experienced this um, in in the corporate culture where I was proposing some things that were adventurous to help. Um, help facilitate communication within our organization at different levels and peer-to-peer. And so I, I know that feeling. It's exciting when it feels like, you know, it's related to that integrity part too, when you just know, gosh, this is going to help. And so you're able to take the risk. So if you could reflect a little bit about um, about risk-taking as a leader. Well, fear is a powerful emotion, as you know. And fear can manifest itself in a lot of different ways because there's a fear of rejection. Like you mentioned, you take this great idea to your boss, and there's a possibility the boss can say, you're crazy, get out of here. You know, So yep. people don't want it, you know, that fear of rejection. But there's also a fear of success that people have, like I, I can't be successful because I don't deserve it. So fear is so powerful in so many ways. Now, fear is normal if you're in a situation where you're actually in danger, the fight or flight type of situation. But the reality is that most of the fear we create, we create it in our mind. It exists in our mind and nowhere else. So what I tell people, the best way you can overcome fear is just, you know, face it head on and just walk through it. And interesting enough, once you get to the other side, you realize it wasn't as scary as you thought because you created this this fear and this scenario in your head that didn't even exist. So fear, you know, like Nike says, just do it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it you know it, it it it's true that when we when we take risks, I mean, sometimes um, you know sometimes it will be accepted and sometimes not, or sometimes it just makes enough change you know it it seems like a lot of organizations they incorporate risk progressively and and sometimes you know it's it's um they're not ready for for a big change but little things can make a difference and so um and that kind of leads to another note that you add in that chapter about being nimble how how when you know as a leader you know maybe we're exploring 
some some new ideas, and, and some of them work, some of them don't. Then we've got this problem, this fire we need to fight, or, or an employee's having an issue that we need to assist with, or so many different things. Being nimble, I like that word, nimble. If you could talk about that a little bit. Well, you have to be flexible and be nimble because I'm a person, you know, I'm a Capricorn, so I like to plan and, you know, uh-huh. do all these things. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, life doesn't work like that. I mean, you know, things come up. So if you get too rigid and too stuck on your plan that you don't want to change, then you could miss huge opportunities. You know, yeah. when um, I was managing this big department, we had all our plans set and then, you know, an emergency came up, and it threw all the plans out the door. So I, you have to adjust. And, you know, life is the same way. We all have challenges in our life, and some of them we don't see coming. And we have things that we lose people that we love. We lose jobs. You know, we we there's changes happening every day. And if we don't adjust to the changes... We only hurt ourselves and we get stuck. And then we get once we get stuck, then we get angry and resentful. And when you get angry and resentful, it only hurts you, not anybody else. Yeah. So being nimble yeah. to me is, is, is so important, but, you know, not everybody's comfortable with that. Yeah. No, it, it's true. It can... Um, and I know we can all think probably about situations where where maybe we should have been more flexible, and we learn. You know, you tend to learn from those situations. Not always easy lessons either, because um, and sometimes you kind of need to to hold your ground. I I've, I I um, help coordinate a big festival, a couple of them in my community. In fact, we just had our winter event. And I've actually worked with public works in our little community <laughs> several times. So I know exactly. <laughs> I was literally, um, you know, ordering trash cans and different things. And we have to think about water in the summer and different. So I totally understand public works. But one of the areas for me where I can be a bit, um, and this is going to lead us into number two, integrity, safety. When I see something that... Um, you know, I feel needs to be taken care of, boy, that, and that could be my engineer too. And that could be something really simple. I had a mom thing happen a couple of years ago where someone had set up a little fence and they had put little zip ties that were pointing out at exactly where young children would be. And so my mom radar went out and was <laughs> like, no way, you know, those kids, are going to be right into those zip ties. And so I was not willing to bend. I said, you know, because there were a bunch. We had to get a few of us to fix it. We were not going to have that situation. I mean, and I guess that was an example of of being firm, you know, and sometimes sometimes you need to be um, very firm when when it comes to safety and things like that. I see that an example of being courageous, because you saw a situation where you knew had a potential danger, a lot of people yep. would have looked the other way, saying, well, it's not my problem, I didn't do that. But you were courageous because you were looking out for the greater good of the community, and by speaking up, you know that maybe the person that originally put them there wouldn't be happy. 
or maybe it was a bureaucracy that you have to get through to fix it. But you were courageous, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. But but you know, and what can happen here? We're going to lead into another. We're we're going to spend a lot on this first chapter, but we've already talked about integrity, which is the second attribute. Is um, here's what you'll get sometimes. You're overreacting, and I loved where you talked about how sometimes when women are in leadership, if you're being, um, you know, being firm in some way, that's emotional, that's overreacting. But if it's a man, that can also, that can be viewed as powerful. And I thought, wow, you know, and, and I saw emotional encompassed in that term, overreacting, because that suggests emotion. Uh, but as a mom, boy, there was some emotion, because I know, <laughs> I know where, <laughs> where toddlers go, and 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 we took care of it. Um, but... Um, so in any case, um, that's an interesting way of, of thinking about how how we're viewed sometimes. Well, the reality is, is that, and we all know this, men and women are different. doesn't make one better than the other. We're just different. So when it comes to leadership styles, we're different as well. And I'm generalizing, but women tend to lead from what's called social power, meaning women tend to lead for what's the greater good. You know, they bring people together, they network, and they they take into consideration the group, where traditionally men tend to lead from personal power. So the personal power and I'm the boss and I'm the team leader and you're going to do what I say. So it's a different style. So as more women come into leadership power in the workforce, it's changing the dynamics. And we see this as a result of the way the millennials act because now the millennials have more of a social conscious and we have new terms like social entrepreneurship what didn't exist before. So the millennials come in, and when they spend their money, they want to make sure that they're spending their money on a corporation that has a social conscious, that's giving back. So things having more women in the workplace has changed the dynamics in so many ways that we don't even realize. Yes, yes, yes. Such such important ways because we just bring so many things to the table and 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 I appreciated how you and your leadership you you have a roundtable approach with with those you you work with and and listen and I'm jumping ahead in attributes again but it's a it's a a very important way of leading to to listen. And, and it's interesting because I would be and I'd have a large uh, conference table, and maybe I'd have you know 25 people in the room. And I would go around the room and ask every single person what they thought. And it uh-huh. doesn't matter what the job title of that person was. They could be the administrative assistant. You know, they could be the engineer, the whatever. It didn't matter to me because if they're in that meeting, obviously, to me, they had a vested interest. So I'd go around the room and ask everybody what they thought. I'd get the input, and once I got it, I'd make a decision. And everybody would be like, well, why are you asking that person what they think? Because their job title is only administrative assistant. And I said, well, then why did you bring that person to the meeting? If they're in the meeting, then they should have a voice. And people thought I was crazy. But then at the end of the day, I wasn't afraid to make decisions after I got everybody's input. I said, okay, this is my decision, and this is the direction we're going to go in. And they're like, okay. 
but they weren't you know used what to I that. Love about, <laughs> well, and and look what you did, Cynthia. Is that you? You didn't diminish a role. You were helping to empower the administrative assistant, who might then aspire to to a greater role of leadership. And and so um, if if it, it wasn't necessarily a woman, I don't want to stereotype, but if it was a woman, often we we need whether a woman or a man to to have a leader that affirms. And I'm again, Jeff. I I don't know. We may just have a half. I'm hitting all, <laughs> all the attributes because <laughs> what you did was um, uh, uh, validating and affirming is one of the attributes later on, and and that's what you do when you. You don't say that, you know, your role doesn't matter. You're just an administrative assistant. No, you're you're saying, hey, you know, this person, and what potential can you grow in that person? That person could, could go back to school. That person could do anything. And and that's a wonderful way of going about it. Well, one of the things that's very important to me and I talk about in the book is leading by example. Because yeah. when you are in a leadership role, people do watch what you do. And so it's yeah. important that you're, you know, being responsible. And there's been times in my life, and I share a story in the book, where I was leading by example and didn't even realize it. I shared a story where I was actually at a fast food restaurant, but I was eating healthy. I was eating a salad. And there was a gentleman in front of me that looked a little bit disheveled. He might have been homeless. And he was paying with change for his food. And he came up short. So I didn't even think anything. I just, you know, opened my wallet and gave him a few dollars to make sure he could pay for his meal. What I didn't realize at the time is that there was a, a mother and daughter standing behind me in line. So the little girl who looked like she was seven or eight asked her mom for a dollar after she saw what I did. Uh-huh. And then she went up and gave the man a dollar and told him, I hope this helps you. You know, I hope you can pay for your meal. And I had no idea. I didn't even realize they were behind me. And so we all looked at each other, the man, the mother, the daughter, and myself, and we all had a moment, and I realized, wow, you know, people watch what you do, and especially the young people. So leading by example is so important, and you know that as being a mom. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when we're dismissive or biased, and, you know, what about if, if someone is leading by a poor example, <laughs> that that then makes it even more important to for to stay in integrity and and lead even more um, in our in our circles of people and in, in that um, it, especially when it comes to to not judging people because often someone in that situation would be judged in some way or just totally dismissed or not even looked at. A lot of homeless people talk about it's as if they don't don't even exist, that that people don't even look at them. And exactly. and so we how are we know. gonna help them? Mm-hmm. Right. We don't know how they got in that situation or why they're in that situation. And it's not for us to judge. Like you said, you know, usually yeah. I have found that judge people that are really judgmental it's because it they're really insecure with who they are because if yeah. you're you know if you're really happy with yourself you realize that everybody has their own journey and that's one of the other attributes i talk about in the book is respect you know yeah. we all have our own journey my journey is not better than your journey it's just different it's it's my journey it's my life 
and if you respect other people enough to honor their journey and know realize that they have their own path and their own life to live that's so important so respect is one of the cornerstones of you know the attributes that i believe in yes yes um you know, another area that I feel really does come through as I learn about the way that you are and your work and, and really leaders that I've respected um, is this notion of being humble and, and having <laughs> humility. I mean, here, here, you know, it, it doesn't, you know what I, I like about you? You've won many accolades. I mean, it's just such an honor that you're here. I have to say that again. And and yet, you know, you're just so real. I mean, and I bet you're that way as a manager too. You know, just real, and and people can relate to you. And and you know, you don't lord it over people. You probably encourage people. You know, the leading by example to 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 aspire to the best that they can. So so um, although it may be one that um, you might be feeling humble to even talk about humility, <laughs> but I, I do. Think that in you and and that is a wonderful way of leading by example well I wish that we had more national leaders that uh, remember to be humble because just because you have a certain job title in front of your name does not make you better than the next person you know even with with the 5,000 people in the department everybody had a role to play and so, you know, the people that picked up the trash for the city, I would go out at 6 o'clock in the morning just to talk to, and I, I'm going to use the term guys because most of them were men, few female drivers, uh-huh. just to say, have a good day. And they would be shocked. They're like, oh, my God, we've never seen a president of the Board of Public Works before. But, you know, I'm just a person. You're just a person. We all have a different role, and it's like a wheel, and you can't take one part of it out because then it's going to fall apart. So being humble is important to me because everybody just has a different job to do, has a different job title, but it doesn't make one person better than the other. I like to say yeah. I'm a competitive person, but I'm competitive with myself. I want to be a better version of me than I was yesterday versus trying to make myself better than anybody else. Yes, yes. I I do so feel that with you, and and, and I admire that that in you and in other leaders that exhibit that. Um, You know, another area this then leads into, we're just going to jump around these attributes (laughs) because there's so many. And I do encourage people to pick up this book because it's a really helpful handbook. In fact, I posted it on an important group on Twitter, Lead From Within, which has a lot Mm. of leaders um, that share with one another, and I want them to see your book. Um, But an area that... um, is important is this notion of cooperation and and I love how you say you don't always have to be right all the time in that you know how do we form cooperative teams I think you're really sharing that how you have multi-level cooperation because because in public works you know you need the trash guys to do their job <laughs> and, and you need every level to work and if it doesn't work it's a real crisis for the community and so you know it's a critical need so um i think you you've really shared how how cooperation is so important for you 
Yes, I mean, because again, nobody, if you're running a business, if you're being a leader, nobody does it alone. You know, we all depend on other people, whether it be our employees, our families, our friends, whatever. So it's important to cooperate. And when you're cooperating, it's also reciprocating because you don't want to just feel like you're the one that's getting everything in that relationship and not giving. Yeah. So cooperation is, is a two-way street. But one thing I wanted to mention about the book, because we've been talking about a, a lot of women and women in leadership, but yeah. it's been interesting because this book has really resonated with men. Men like yeah. it because it's short, sweet, and to the point. So it's on Amazon.com. And so the men that have gone on to review it have said they really like it because it gets to the point right away and they can it they does. can relate to it. <laughs> so it's yeah, for men I and women. Really, I think that um, having... You know, one of the things we used to look at is what kind of training would be helpful to help us communicate. And one of the areas that were challenging for people is when they first became project leads. I was a project lead at the beginning. And how you learn to be a project lead or a manager, your book would be excellent source material for training courses in, in corporate settings because it is to the point. It, and it, you could easily have exercises in every area and it's just it I could see exactly why men would very much like it it, it is not specific to women at all I, it, it's very general and I could see that um, and you know because you are a good communicator which um, you know being a leader isn't necessarily a title because writing a book Cynthia, like you've done, is being a leader. And and it's how you've communicated this in a language that is accessible to a lot of people. And, and whether they're to the point or, you know, and also people who really feel and, you know, agonize over decisions and things, you know, um, maybe people who aren't as to the point. It can help them focus. Getting to the point is so important. And, and, and so I feel that I... I see your communicativeness as a leader coming through through your book. Well, um, thank you so much for that. And one of the things that in our Cherokee values about being a leader is that if you do have information, if you've acquired wisdom throughout your life, it's important to teach. It's important to share your yeah. knowledge and wisdom with other people so to help them. So I'm certainly not here saying that I know it all, that I have yeah. all the answers. <laughs> but what I am saying is that I've been in several situations where I've learned a lot, and a lot of it was by trial and error. So if I can share my wisdom and help other people through their journey and their leadership path, then that's really what I want to do. Yes. Yes, I I can feel that, and you know it's funny. I I I will be humble for both of us here, but in terms of accolades, we just jumped to number one live show on Blog Talk Radio, as you were saying. I, I see this synchronistically, as you were saying, how you feel led to teach, and so do I. You know, in just facilitating these kinds of conversations that doesn't happen every day so it's happening a bit more lately which is cool but it's it's a it's cool that that's happened because i hope a lot of people are listening i hope that that leadership group is listening and other leadership groups because this this really is such helpful information and you know another area 
that oh, this one is very important. In fact, I'm going to ask this in a in a in a way that um, for me can be challenging as a leader. It's this notion of accountability. It's so important. But I also have a question. When we make a mistake, like you say, we're not perfect. As leaders, there's that accountability. And then also it's it's combining everything, accountability, communication, humility, being nimble. But that core integrity of accountability, Cynthia, that's so important for leaders, isn't it? Well, what happens when we make mistakes, because we all do, a lot of time our ego gets in the way, and we don't want to admit that we made a mistake. Yeah. You know, nobody's yeah. perfect, and so what I do is when I make a mistake, especially in front of a big group, I own it. <laughs> I'm like, you yep. know what, I am sorry, I made a mistake here. Yeah. And then people respect you. Now, what happens many times, and I've seen this, when people make mistakes, what do they do? They try to blame somebody else. Oh, well, it wasn't me. It was so-and-so. And and they try to deflect. But everybody knows the truth anyway. So, you know, to me, you get much more respect by owning your mistakes and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I did this wrong for whatever you did. And help me understand how I could have done it differently. Or simple, the words, I apologize. I am sorry. For some reason, a lot of leaders feel like once they're in powerful positions that they don't have to apologize to anyone. So I think it's so important to acknowledge your mistakes, learn from them, and not repeat them. Yes. Yes, that's the key. And and I think people will respect leaders more who are honest because it seems like, you know, if you look at the, you know, famous mistakes in our society, it's usually not the mistake that that's the problem. <laughs> it's when people undermine their integrity by covering it up or, you know, or doing something that, and that, that's it every time. And if, if people, and this is true in politics, it's true at the head of corporate, it's true everywhere. If people would just, you know, say, hey, you know, I didn't have all the information. I just, you know, didn't, whatever, whatever the mistake was, um, and then move on, then then a lot of big issues never would have happened. It's when people, um, you know, they're afraid. They, they don't seem to have that core. And I feel that Cherokee wisdom there. In the sense of it seems to me that the Cherokee ancestors would 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 own their personhood in a way that that they could you know move on like yep let's you know that happened let's now we're going to do this or whatever and and I can feel that in what you're conveying as well as if they're they're trying to share that with us that that core essence. I guess I can't even quite capture it. There's there's just such such depth and an integrity there that we can draw from. Because we believe in harmony and balance, and when yeah. you know you do make a mistake, then it gets out of balance. So you have to restore that balance by accepting the mistake and getting back into the harmony and balance aspect. Yes, yes, so true, so true, and. You know, we're managing to actually get through most of these. And, and you know, I'm going to relate two together here um, because one that you talk about is 
patience. And another area we haven't talked about yet, although we have rather subtly, um, comes up earlier, is strength, is, mm. is having strength in different ways. And somehow the two feel related to me because you have to be strong to have enough trust to be patient. Um, they, they seem very much related. So if you could explore, we haven't really explored the strength area, all the different ways that, that we can develop our, our capacities there. Well, let me talk about strong, being strong, because when yeah. people think of strength, they think of physical strength. But, you know, I like to look at people holistically. Physical strength is very important. I mean, I eat healthy and I work out, so that is important, but also mental strength and yeah. emotional strength and spiritual strength, having the strength, because I have gone through many challenges in my life. I was the first person to go to college in my family, so it was very, very challenging. But I had to really tap into my mental strength to get me through uncharted territory. And I'm proud to say that by the time I was 23, I had my master's degree, but it was not easy. And since it was not easy, and you you touched upon this before, is that I give back a lot. So I do volunteer yeah. and mentor young women in the inner city to help them and guide them. So, you know, to teach them strength and to teach them that anything is possible. So strength is so important because, like we talked about before, everybody has challenges in their life. And it's getting through the other side because Nothing's permanent in this world. Everything's temporary. And you will get to the other side at some point. Yes, yes. So be patient. That's that's it. I was just going to say it totally relates to patient because it takes such strength to trust. Um, I I think you say in that chapter something about um, God's timing, not ours, and that, you know, how, you know, it can take a lifetime to figure that out, that, um, it's always perfect, and, and you have to often look backwards and say, gosh, you know, if that had been in any other order, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be here. It wouldn't, you know, and I think we many of us can say that with challenges and timing, and, and um, you know, you talk about going with the flow. It, it takes strength and patience to just, just trust in the flow. Well, the key for me about patience is I really didn't learn patience until I surrendered. And what I mean yeah. by that is I surrendered to the creator and realized the creator is more knowledgeable and, and better equipped to make a lot of decisions and things happen in the creator's time or God's time, not our time. So having that understanding of surrendering and realizing everything's perfect exactly the way it's supposed to be then I don't sweat yeah. the small stuff. I don't say, "Oh, this has to happen when it has to when, at my time." No, I'm patient, yeah. and you know it happens in God's time, and I'm okay with that. Yes, yes, yes. There's just such that there's a lot of wisdom in in that. I mean that that will carry you through anything is is the key. And and I know actually there you go. There's one we haven't related again and I know we're running out of time but just it's a, probably a good one to end on is is just you know that notion of being perseverant and you know believing in your dreams you went to school you took on all these amazing roles and 
what courage you have. I mean, I, I, I seem to be just, I, I know I, 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 I really um, um, admire you, Cynthia, because it takes courage to be in a leadership role that's so mainstream in a city like that, and then also be very open about your spirituality as well. And we need more of that because it just adds to the rich diversity of who we are and what makes good leaders is, you know, we're not one-dimensional. We have these multiple dimensions. And and so, um, you know, as we head to the end here, you know, I, I, I guess I'm to the point of also thanking you and just saying, um, thank you for your courage and for teaching these things and for all that you're doing. Well, Susan, thank you for this opportunity. And I just want to end on the note that I believe anything is possible. I think you need yes. three ingredients. I think you need to believe it's possible. I think you need to do the work and never give up. And I'm living proof that anything is possible. So, Susan, I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, well, I I too feel the same way. I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and I want to encourage our listeners to find your website cynthiamruiz.com and then also your book Cherokee Wisdom 12 Lessons for Becoming a Powerful Leader. And your other book sounds interesting. See, now I'm curious about your other book, too. <laughs> <laughs> Finding Sane Relationships in a Crazy World, which that that sounds very intriguing, too. So, um, again, thank you for what you're doing, and um, I look forward to what you do next. I think you have more to share with us. Well, thank you so much for your time, Susan. All right. Well, take care then. You have a good day down there in, in the sunshine. <laughs> Hopefully you're getting sun. We're not we today, but <laughs> but we we are used to it up here. We we love our mists. <laughs> so so yes, take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Um just a note to the live audience. Our next show is um going to be a holiday-oriented show. We are going to be talking about the winter solstice because many of us consider that a very sacred time. And that crosses all traditions, by the way. You can be any religion and still honor the cycles and the balance of the solstice. In fact, Cynthia talks, we didn't discuss this, but in her book, she actually opens it by talking about the cycles that we all encounter. And so the next show is going to be with Sonia Grace, who is an expert in ceremony. And Sonia has been on Coast to Coast AM and on George Norrie's um, Gaia TV show, or Gaia TV now. Um, it was just on again, has been on a couple times. And she has a beautiful spirit. And we're so blessed to have Sonia here on this show with every equinox and every solstice. So Wednesday, December 21st at 2 p.m. Pacific, um, we will have our winter solstice celebration, a quiet time of reflecting. And then after that, we'll have a bit of a holiday break. Um, and you may have some, we may have a couple of spontaneous shows, but there's going to be a little break before um, bringing on guests again. And I hope that you take that opportunity to explore the archive in FrontierBeyondFear.com. You have more than six years worth of shows there to explore 
and just such amazing guests. I am so thankful for the people who have come here. And if you feel led to support the show here, um, this is a listener-supported show. It's a gift of the heart, and I always welcome both your prayers, your energetic support, and any other way that you'd like to support the maintenance costs of the show. And on FrontierBeyondFear.com, you can see various ways to do that. So, And thank you for those of you who are supporting this broadcast in that way. So take care, everyone, and may you find peace on your path today. And I will see you next time.